0: Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. everybody joining us online, I'm so glad you've joined us today. I hope you're well wherever you are in the world, and um, I hope that you've enjoyed your time uh, in our online campus service so far. If we haven't met, my name's Terry Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Life Christian Church and uh, I'm going to be teaching for the next few minutes uh, and hopefully teaching in a way that will make a powerful impact in your life. That's what I am hoping for anyway. I guess you'll be the ones who will ultimately decide whether or not that happened. um, So I want to begin by mentioning a simple but life-defining truth that uh, I've mentioned a number of times and that I think a lot about it's this, fear is faith in the wrong thing, or, as I'll emphasize today, not having faith in the right person. Fear is faith in the wrong thing, or, again, as I'll emphasize later, not having faith in the right person. So uh, Dr. William Backus, a psychologist and author of some 20 books on uh, uh, Counseling and pastoral related matters defined an emotion as a response of a number of physical systems to something we believe. An emotion is a response of a number of physical systems to something we believe. I've heard people say uh, any number of times that fear is faith moving in the wrong direction. Fear is believing the wrong thing. We become afraid because we believe something bad is going to happen. Uh, Or we look at some data point and we believe something negative about it. Uh, If I were to walk into uh, the kitchen of our house in the middle of the night and uh, see a person standing in the shadows and if I believed that that was a burglar, I would become frightened just for a few moments because then he would become frightened. But that's another matter. Uh, <laughs> no ego involved in that statement i i If I thought it was a burglar, I would become frightened if i If I thought it was my daughter who was standing there in the dark in the kitchen, I would have a completely different emotion i I would feel i would have very pleasant thoughts it's it the the whether it's fear or not has to do with what i believe about what i am seeing so I read something this week that made this thing that I thought about and mentioned a number of times even a little more interesting, and that is a study that has found that fear is contagious, that fear actually is multiplied when someone is in a crowd. Uh, Researchers from the California Institute of Technology say that when faced with fear, people are more likely to have a heightened physical response when other people are around. This involves rapid changes, the body experiences as it responds to an event, and is more likely to happen when other people are dealing with the same thing. So if a friend is shaking with fear and reacts to traumatic triggers, the study finds even the calmest person may be startled by that trigger. So if you hang around with people who are afraid, the likelihood is that you're going to be more afraid, of course, the other side of that is if you hang around with people who have faith, the likelihood is that you're going to be a, a person of faith. Today, I want to talk about how the contagion of fear, rooted in the sin of unbelief, spread through a group depending on who's counting of about a one and a half to three million people god's people. In the wilderness and kept them from the promises of God. Listen, fear at its best will keep you from living life in all its fullness. At worst, fear will keep you from the life now and forever that Jesus made possible through his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation. Put simply, if you do not believe in Jesus and his promises, you will miss out on all that Jesus came to do and wants to do in your life. Now, the fact is that we live in a societal climate of fear right now. Fear about so many things. Fear about, it seems, everything. It's like the voices that we hear incessantly in our culture are coming from frightened people with the gift of discouragement. But this, the Live Christian Church, is not a place of fear. We, we are a people of faith. And I want us to encourage one another in our faith until faith spreads like a contagion in our church and from us to the world around us. Now I'm going to teach as we have been through the sermon written to the Hebrews in the first century, uh, chapter 3 today. However, I want to begin, just kind of frame things a little bit, Uh, by reading a passage. I want to begin, at least in Scripture, by reading a passage from the Apostle Paul's writing to the Romans that I think can help us think properly about faith. It's Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, and Joe, I need a little bit more monitor and depth up here, please. Romans 1, 16, Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. The good news about Jesus. The news that Jesus came, lived, died, entered death, defeated death, was exalted to heaven, sits at the right hand of God. I am not ashamed of the good news about Jesus because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be reconciled to God and restored to our purposes now and forever. So... The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who, key word, believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. The Jews were the first ones that heard the good news, then the non-Jews. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So, I think probably most of us have some understanding that we receive the gospel, we appropriate it, it becomes real in our lives when we believe it. When we believe the gospel, God affects salvation in our lives. And when that happens, we're counted to have been made right with God. We become the righteous solely on the basis of our faith in Jesus and our belief in the good news or the gospel about Jesus. However, it's important to note that we don't just confess our faith when we first believe. In fact, this text says it's by faith from first to last. And then he says the righteous or the just will live by faith. I like to say it like this. This whole thing is by faith from first to last and in between. Everything about our relationship with God is effectuated by faith. And it's not just when we first believe and we're counted to have been saved. From the moment we believe until the moment that we enter the age to come, everything that happens in our relationship with God, and it should be then our lives, is based, premised on whether or not we believe. See, we don't just confess our faith the first time we believe, we confess our faith every day. We confess our faith in Jesus. We confess our faith in, uh, his, in, in his word. We believe he is who he says he is. We believe that he does what he says he does. It's not just a one and done thing. When it's all said and done, whether or not you are receiving in your life, everything that continues to allow you to be considered right with God is all about what you believe. Not just once, every day the righteous live by faith. The stakes, the stakes for faith couldn't be higher. Everything in our lives responds to what we believe, including God. And that is a big deal. So I want to then then say to you, you know, faith in the wrong thing. Fear, living in fear, doesn't just make you feel badly. Living in fear will keep you from living the life God dreamed for you now and forever. All right, so let, let, that, that's just a l- little... Primer on faith. Now, it's kind of, we'll pick that up a little later, hopefully. Let's go back to Hebrews. If you're new to us or you haven't been tracking in recent weeks, we're teaching through the entire New Testament book of Hebrews during the first trimester of 2022, meaning all the way through Easter and uh, up until May. And today we pick up at Hebrews, the third chapter, and this section of scripture has amazing things to teach us about faith and fear and the way that this affects our lives. So let's get at it. Organize our thoughts like this today. Three big truths from Hebrews 3. Here's the first one. It's focus on Jesus and confess your faith in him and you won't lose your place in God's house. So let's let me say it again. Focus on Jesus and confess your faith in him, and you won't lose your place in God's house. And um, that's kind of a simple way of summing up Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, which we'll read now. The writer to the Hebrews, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest. Whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all. God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. There's a whole lot there. Let me just remind you what's happening here in Hebrews. This this. Letter, really, a sermon written by a highly educated and um, uh, well trained pastor uh, is being written to Christians in Rome in the mid AD 60s uh these the group this is written to are commonly called Jewish Christians in fact they were Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah along with some Gentiles who believed that Jesus was Messiah and Lord and who had a deep affinity from for uh, Judaism. Everyone involved here had a real grasp of the Jewish scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. And that's very important because pretty much every week for the next Couple of months, we're going to be going back into the Old Testament to try to understand some of the the thinking and the history behind some of the things that are being written to these Jewish Christians in the first century. These these Christians are suffering uh, uh, marginalization at best, persecution at worst, and very importantly, they were they were very discouraged. And some were no longer attending services, and some were considering leaving the church altogether and returning to the synagogue or some other pre-conversion way of life. Um, I think it's important, again, just to kind of remember what, who this is being written to. Most important for this section of Scripture today is that these believers and all Jewish people held Moses in incredibly high esteem. He was considered by most Jews to be the greatest person in history, and he was revered, and he should have been revered, and he should be revered. Uh, Moses, just to kind of remind you a little bit about this, this great man, was divinely chosen to deliver God's people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and he did. He was considered Israel's greatest Prophet, God said, for instance, that He communicated to other prophets through various means, but, he, but, but that He communicated with Moses face to face. And there's a there's a passage from the Old Testament tucked into Hebrews three one through six, which we just read that 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 lays this out. It's Numbers twelve when it says, "When there is a prophet, God said." When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. This is a big deal. God says Moses is so great. As opposed to all the other prophets, I sp- have spoken to Moses face by face. Moses, of course, was the, was the lawgiver. Uh, the law was and is the basis for Judaism and ultimately Christianity, which Christianity really is an extension of, a manifestation of. And the law, of course, is a basis, basis, uh, for the rule of law in, 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 in our society today, writ large, such as it is. Uh, Moses was a great historian and writer. Um, he was used by God to write the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, one might also say that Moses, and I think the point being made here in Hebrews 3, is that Moses was Israel's greatest apostle up until Jesus, meaning messenger from God, and Israel's greatest high priest, someone who represented the people to God and God to the people. I particularly love what Stephen said about Moses as he was about to be martyred, actually, the first Christian martyr, and we we find this in Acts chapter 7. He He, he wrote, Moses was born, I'm sorry, he said Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. And then then Stephen goes and he recounts the story of Moses and how ultimately the Israelites didn't receive the promises of God because of their unbelief. But... The writer of Hebrews tells these Jewish followers of Jesus and all of us that we should fix our eyes on Jesus because, Hebrews 3.3, 3, Jesus has been found worthy. I'll repeat that. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. And this is a big deal to Jewish believers who are sitting there in the first century who hold Moses in the type of esteem that he was held in and should have been held in. The writer of the Hebrews says, Moses was great, but Jesus is greater than Moses. Why is Jesus greater than Moses? Again, to kind of just sum up what was said in these first few uh, verses of Hebrews chapter 3, he's greater than Moses. Moses played an essential role in what God was doing in the world. But Jesus is the creator of the world. Uh, Ken Hughes in his commentary on Hebrews wrote, it was commonly held in ancient thought that an architect is greater than what he builds. And so there's a celebration of the house that Moses has built. The house, that some commentators think it refers to the tabernacle of Moses, which then became the temple of Solomon and so on, or, or perhaps it speaks to the whole of, of, of Judaism. All the, the house that Moses built is to be celebrated, but, but the architect of the house, the plans for the house, whether the tabernacle or all the rest, came from God. And what what the writer to the Hebrews said in the opening few verses of Hebrews is that that God now has has now spoken to us through His Son, who He actually used to create the entire world. So whatever there is in the world, Jesus is greater than that. Even as great as what Moses did, Jesus is greater than that because Jesus is the first cause of everything that exists. Whatever you find in the world, Jesus is greater than that. And so the writer of the Hebrews is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who's going to ultimately lead you where you're supposed to go. And don't leave the thing that's greater than to go to the thing that's less than, even if the less than thing is the greatest thing you have ever known before. So, uh, you know, Moses built the tabernacle, but God gave Moses the design for the tabernacle. Um, Moses was a faithful servant, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6 says, but Jesus is a faithful son. Jesus has inherited everything from the Father. He and the Father are one. It's difficult to find anything greater than that. Moses, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6 says, testified concerning the future. But the, the, but the future he testified about was Jesus Christ. Here's what. Here's what. Uh, here's when Moses testified about the future. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Moses said, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him." Who was Moses talking about? Well, Jesus said that Moses, when he said that, was talking about him. Gospel of John, chapter 5, Jesus said, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. See, this is why at some point you have to make a decision about Jesus. Because either he was who he says he was, or he was an incredible fraud. I mean, he's standing there talking to his Jewish brothers and sisters saying, I'm the one Moses wrote about. I mean, this is quite a claim. So he wasn't, he can't just be a great teacher and a good man. He, he was either a terrible teacher and a horrible man, or else he was who he said he was, right? Because he makes claims like, I'm the one Moses wrote about. And if you believe Moses, you're going to believe in me. There's another passage. In Luke 24, where Jesus, post-resurrection, is trying to explain himself to to some of his followers, and we're told that, that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus says, I'm the one Moses was talking about. And that now is what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. I know you're discouraged, guys. I know it would be easier to go back to the Judaism of your youth. It would be easier to go back to the synagogue, not be one of these Christians on the, on the margins of society, uh, kind of outcast and being persecuted. I know. But listen, if you go back, as great as that is, as essential as it was, Jesus is greater than that. So Hebrews 3 1, therefore holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. That word fix has to do with consider, think about, notice, observe. Constantly the writer of Hebrews is coming back to us saying, focus on Jesus because if you'll focus on Jesus, you'll understand how everything in your life must be shaped by who he is, what he did, what he does, what he will do. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. And then he calls Jesus the apostle, meaning the messenger from God, the high priest, which now for chapters into Genesis, he'll talk about what it looks like for Jesus to be the high priest. He says, Jesus is the one who represents us to God and God to us. And then the, the big point here is he says, he says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, Hebrews 3.1, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. And this was really big. See, Today, when we talk about confessing something, we talk about telling somebody something we did wrong. But in Scripture and in the first century, a confession of faith was an announcement to anyone who would hear you as to what you believed. And to these discouraged Christians in Rome, it was a big deal to make a confession of their faith where they would say, I believe that Jesus is really who he said he was, and I am going to follow him, and I'm going to do what he says, and it doesn't matter what happens in the world around me, I confess my faith." And, um, uh, that was a big thing for these people to do. And so the writer to the Hebrews is saying, guys, don't give up. Don't go back. Don't find something lesser as great as the lesser is. Focus on Jesus. Confess your faith in Him. And you'll, if you do that, you'll end up living the life that you were meant to live. Now, having said that, let's then go to the next, uh, what did I call this? Three big ideas or something? Three, the next big truth from Hebrews 3. Hebrews, how would you know, right? I'm supposed, all right. Here's the next one. This is where I'll spend most of the rest of, 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 our, of our time together. To not believe is a sin. Now, I'm talking about faith today. I want you to remember, I'm not just talking about faith as the first cause of salvation or what we would call justification, That is that when we first confess our faith in Jesus, we are considered to have been made right with God. Remember, I'm not just talking about that because the text isn't just talking about that. I'm talking about faith from Romans 1, 16 and 17, faith from first to last and in between. I'm talking about the just shall live by faith. I'm going to talk a little bit today about how that when we believe in the right person, when we believe in the right person, we have faith. When we believe in the wrong thing, we have fear. And now, the writer of the Hebrews is going to say, now listen, Moses, great as he was, couldn't get the people to the promised land. Jesus, greater than Moses, can get you to the promised land if you'll believe him. But, and here's how the text picks up. Hebrews thirteen seven. I'm sorry, Hebrews three seven. So, as the Holy Spirit says, and now uh, almost the rest of what I'm going to read is a quotation from the ninety fifth Psalm, which we'll go into here in a few moments. So, as the Holy Spirit says, now we're in the ninety fifth Psalm. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why, who's speaking now, it's, this is God speaking in the first person. That is why I was angry with that generation. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you why he was angry with that generation. He was angry in that generation because they didn't believe him. Okay, that's why he was angry with them. So I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And then the writer of Hebrews picks up here, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So, the overarching point of this section is that as great as Moses was, the people didn't believe what God said through him, and their unbelief was a sin, and their sin of unbelief caused God to become angry, and therefore he did not let them enter the promised land. And since Jesus is greater than Moses, and since the promises he makes are greater promises, if we don't believe in him, we're going to miss out on something greater than the promised land. We're going to miss out on the life God dreamed for us now and forever. The stakes are higher for us because Jesus is greater than him. And the promises he makes are greater than any promises that have ever been made. So if you think that the, 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 the Jews in the wilderness who, who missed out on the promised land missed something, you need to consider the writer of Hebrews saying what you're going to miss out on if you don't focus on Jesus and confess your faith in him. At the core of this passage, again, is the 95th Psalm. I'm talking quick because I have a lot of ground to cover to really get to the point that I really want to make. Okay? Is everybody okay? I hope everybody watching online is okay. I send some heart things going up the side of the computer. It makes pastors very happy to hear there are a lot of hearts and stuff like that. Do that. Sometimes when we were watching, okay, little self confession. Sometimes when we were watching, thank you, Rick. Uh, I don't know though what Megan might think about you making that sign at me in the front row, but sometimes during, while we were locked down and I'd pre record the sermons in a room by myself and a cameraman, I'd sit and watch the sermon with Sharon and Dietrich, our dog, on Sunday morning. And just to make me feel good, she'd get up and go to the computer every once in a while and hit a bunch of hearts. Because you guys weren't. So, I, you know, she had to pick up the slack. And... Uh, <laughs> you really look great today, by the way, Sharon. Heart, 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 heart. All right. Okay, Psalm 95.7. Here's the psalm as it's written, as we find it in the Old Testament. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, and as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. The way that this gets translated in Hebrews three is as uh, the rebellion and the testing. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. What did they? What did they? What did they seen him? What did they see him do? What had they seen Him? I can't even talk today. Anyway, you get the point. What they had observed God... What they had witnessed God do in the past was deliver them from Egypt. Park the Red Sea. Send the plagues, okay? So God says, you know, you saw that. How in the world can you not now believe what I'm going to tell you, okay? For 40 years... I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now what's going on here? When he re- makes these references to to uh, Meribah and Massa, which I know are odd words, it's a bookend of the 40-year wandering in the wilderness of the children of Israel. So, uh, and and the bookends are two very similar stories, and I and I intended to close with with these today. Um, I, I probably won't get to it, and, and I, I I hopefully by God's grace will begin with them next Sunday. These two bookends, and that's enough of Moses. We've moved on to Jesus, guys. Thank you. Uh, these two bookends are how that. Uh, you remember the story, they, they, the, the children of Israel delivered from Egypt and they camp at Sinai. And there are a lot of things that happened in those, I think it was about a year that they camped at Sinai, and one of the things was happened is the people got thirsty and they were upset at Moses and they, they, they talked about rebelling against him and, um, they, because they, they didn't have water. And God told Moses to take his staff and to strike the rock and that when he did, water came out and the and the people and their livestock were satiated well that moses named that place meribah which means rebellion and massa which means testing fast forward then the next and only time that 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 one of these two words is used, the other one's not used again, the word uh, uh, Meribah is used, is all the way up at the end of the 40-year sojourn, when again the people rebel and they test Moses, and God tells Moses to take his staff, but he tells him to speak to the rock. And if you remember, Moses... The people had finally gotten to him, their fear contagion, their quarreling, their hard hearts, the sin of unbelief had finally gotten to him that Moses, instead of speaking to the rock as God told him, took the staff and he hit the rock twice. And as a consequence, even Moses was kept out of the promised land. Okay? So, so, the ninety-fifth psalm is a very important psalm. For, for one thing, the, the the Jews in the first century would have recognized it because they, in fact, all of them would have memorized a portion of it. Because the beginning of the psalm was the call to worship in the synagogue every Sabbath evening, so they were familiar with this psalm, and this was a huge part of their story. And 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 so so he says he so so the writer to these Jewish Christians in the first century says, don't. Be like them. These people who rebelled and who tested God and who didn't have faith and whose hearts were hard and who missed out on what God had for them because at its root they didn't believe Him. Don't be like them. Now, of course, ultimately God made the decision to have these people. Wander around in the wilderness for forty years on the basis of the fact that when they did get to the promised land, he told Moses to send in twelve spies, one from each tribe of Israel. Now, I, I, I'm sure most of you know this, but I, I don't want to assume that 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 you 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 know about this. When when the children of Israel delivered from from Egypt. The journey to the promised land really should have just been a few months. And it ends up becoming 40 years. And the reason it becomes 40 years is because God's angry, because people don't believe him. And God cannot stand it when people don't believe him. So here's uh, the, the story about the 12 spies. It takes up two entire really long chapters in numbers in the Pentateuch. And uh I'm gonna take a few minutes and I'm gonna read and tell some of what happened, okay? Because this is what is being referred to in Hebrews 3 and the 95th Psalm. This is the story. The book ended by the the, the water and the rock thing, but but early on, now all this gets manifest here. Numbers 13 27. The spies come back. They give Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Sounds like good news, right? Here is its fruit. In fact, we're told earlier in the story, the fruit was so amazing in in the promised land, the land that God had promised their forefather Abraham that, that his people would inherit. The, 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 the fruit was so amazing. They cut off a cluster of grapes and the cluster was so large. It took two men to carry it on a pole on their shoulders between themselves. So we, we, they come back and say, we've got great news. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. See, they were going to have to, go into the promised land and they were going to have to conquer it. But God had promised them that his presence would go with them and that they would be able to get or accomplish what he, t- he promised to them. All they had to do was believe it. But now they say the, the, it's going to be really difficult to do this. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him, 12 spies, as most of you know, 10 of them end up being full of the fear contagion that ends up spreading through several million people. Overwhelming the faith of two guys, Joshua and Caleb. And here's Caleb. Caleb silenced the people before Moses. Um... We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it, but the men who had gone up with him, the other 10 said we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report and a contagion of fear about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size, and they mentioned how that there were actually giants there. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and and looked the same to them. That night, now this fear begins to spread. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? This is just now they're going to decide what they believe. Do they believe they can or do they believe they can't? Do they believe what God said they could do, or do they not believe what God said? It's Really, it's that simple. Bottom line, what do you believe? Is your daughter standing in the kitchen, or is it a burglar? What do you want to believe about what you see out there? Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And now there's a little interlude uh, and, and, and God says to Moses, basically God says, I'm going to kill him. And Moses says, please don't kill him, because God, you'll look bad in the eyes of all the people who know about your promises. This is basically what he says. And then God says, okay, I won't kill him. Uh, however, and this is where it picks up. He says, he says, in fact, I have forgiven them as you asked, Nevertheless, as surely as I live, God says, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Why are they treating him with contempt? They don't believe. But... I will do the very thing I heard you say in this wilderness. Your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness for 40 years. You will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Why is God against them? They didn't believe. That's it. I mean, that's the root of all the other stuff that caused God to say, you have contempt for me. God, why do I have contempt for you? You don't believe. And it's amazing to me how fear spread among the people. See, now now here's... I'll close with this. I'm really not at a good closing point, but I'll I'll start heading that direction here. Something that really amazes me is how that everybody here had the same data. There was no disagreement about the data. They, They agreed on the facts. They agreed. The land is amazing, and there are giants. It's wonderful if we could only go get it, but... You know, there's good news and there's bad news. There are giants. Two of those people looked at the data and said, God will give us victory, we have faith. And ten of the people said, God won't give us victory, we are afraid. Now, let me risk just a little bit, please. Uh, Hear me out. Hear me out on this whole thing I'm about to say. If you you don't and you're sitting at home and click me off, you're going to miss... The balance, I'm going to bring to what I'm about to say. And if you get up and leave, would you stop people at the back? No, I'm kidding. So there's a study that came out this week. I'm going to talk about COVID, but I do not not because I'm going to talk about COVID. The point I'm going to make is not about COVID can be applied to that. It's about life itself. And this seems like a pretty good way to do this. So there's a study I'm sure you probably saw. It was all over the news this week that came out. Um, which says, now I don't. I'm not a scientist. I don't know. I've seen other people write articles criticizing this study. Which I think one of the interesting things about the data is people can choose to look at the same set of facts and take a different approach to how they respond to the same set of facts. You don't even have to disagree about the facts. You can say, I agree. I agree. The land is amazing. You might give me just a minute, okay? Thank you for your promptness. I was making an important point. The land is amazing, but there are giants. Does everybody agree? Everybody agrees. We all agree. Okay, now, can we or can't we? God said we can. Do we believe him or do we not? has nothing to do with the data. It just has to do with whether we choose faith or fear. All right, so this study came out this week that said lockdowns had little to no effect on saving lives during the pandemic and should be rejected out of hand as pandemic policy according to economists in a new meta-analysis of dozens of studies, like 36 studies. A group led by the head of John Hopkins Institute for Applied Economics, Analyzed studies from the first surge of the pandemic to investigate widely pushed claims that stringent restrictions would limit deaths. Instead, the meta-analysis concluded that lockdowns across the U.S. and Europe had only, quote, reduced COVID-19 mortality by 0.2% on average. While this meta-analysis concludes that lockdowns have had little to no public health effects, They have imposed enormous economic and social costs where they have been adopted, the professors wrote in the journal Studies in Applied Economics. So let me just make a couple points about that to make a larger point about life. Okay? Everybody still okay at this this point? Let me just state, I think at the beginning of this whole COVID thing, I think everybody was just trying to do their best to deal with something that we'd never dealt with before, and everybody's... Everybody wanted to do the right thing, and I, I think it's really important to, to state that. And there was a general consensus that lockdowns were the best approach. For the most part, it seemed like most people thought that was right to do, was supposed to last a couple of weeks, lasted a lot longer than that, but I think everybody was willing to make whatever sacrifices needed to be. I think everybody's heart was in the right place. It doesn't have to be, you know, I... I, I I don't even know that there's a right or wrong because you can read somebody referring to this study and they have a different view of it than these professors who wrote it. It's a, anyway, that's not the point to me. My sense, just general life sense, informed by Scripture and personal experience, is that, let's just say that this study, that there is at least some truth to it. And I think there's certainly... At least some truth to it and make probably a whole lot of truth to it but i'm not i don't know enough about it haven't studied it enough to know i'm just saying let's just assume there's some truth to it my sense informed by scripture and personal experience is that fear-based decisions are rarely the best decisions especially in the long term and this is why early on some people weren't very happy with me i was always so aggressive about let's as soon as we can, in, in in a way that honors people who are who are uh, who are frightened, and and that, that that honors people with underlying health conditions, and that does everything we can to keep everybody safe. Let's not give in to a mentality that says that we are forever going to be isolated and and. Um, Well, locked down. Now, and I think another important point here, I've made it several times, is two people can look at the same data and take a different approach. The two and the ten agreed there were giants, but the two agreed that God would help them defeat the giants and felt like they should go after it, where the ten didn't. They didn't. Everybody agreed there were risks. Everybody agreed there would be a fight. Everybody agreed there would be sacrifices. But ultimately, the question was, do we trust God to help us move forward, or do we not? Just do, do we trust God to help us move forward? Or do we not? And this is why when, when it's all said and done, you know, do we put our faith in science or put our faith in God? Now, be very careful to say this. I like science. I'm grateful for science. But I know that science is an attempt to understand things greater than science. Science attempts to some extent to understand the laws of God. Gravity, for instance. Uh, but science, as wonderful as it is, is imperfect. God is perfect. Science is constantly self-correcting, which is good. It should be. I am glad that it is. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is why somebody... This is like why somebody like Francis Collins, the person who led the team that mapped the human genome and until recently was the director of the National Institutes of Health, says that the limits of science caused him to search for God and ultimately to confess his faith in Jesus. See, God is greater than science. And what God says and has always said is that we should live by faith. That's what God says. That we should look at the world around us and look at possibility, and look at challenges, and make decisions based on a faith perspective, not a fear perspective. Now, notice now, I want to talk about something much bigger than COVID when I talk about that. And by the way, just so you know, and I know there are people on all kinds of sides of issues, but I'm a vaccinated, boosted guy who's Who's tried to follow the rules and when Omicron was surging, we, and some of you would like this and some of you wouldn't. I figure somewhere in the middle, maybe there's somebody right. When Omicron was surging, we had a mask mandate in our office for a couple of weeks because there are some people with underlying health conditions and we were concerned about that. Understand, I, I'm, I'm, I take a very, I hope, balanced approach to all of this. I'm just saying this, that when it's all said and done, I think that we have to approach life as people of faith. Now, what does that, what does that mean exactly for us? I I don't know. I think it might mean something different for you, perhaps, in actions you may or may not take that might be different than actions I may or may not take, as long as we're taking it from a faith perspective. Can, can you understand what I mean by that? So 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 you may decide that 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 you, you're gonna close your business for a little while and work remotely because you have faith in God that your business is gonna be fine. Or you may decide or you may close your business out of fear. If you close your business out of fear, that's not God's way, if you close your business with a faith perspective, you understand the difference. The bottom line is, are you approaching life in terms of, I really believe, I didn't just believe in Jesus and confess my faith in the gospel and get saved, I get up every day and I live by faith and I say, Jesus, you know what? I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you do what you say you're gonna do and I'm gonna approach life today like I believe that. I know there are giants. I know there are risks. I know there are, every time I get in the car and drive down the road, you know, I could have a crash and lose my life, but that's not gonna keep me from driving down the road in my car. there's a life god dreamed for me and guys that life cannot be pursued when you live in fear it just can't what god call you to do go do it there're going to be risks you're going to face giants go do it where did god call you to serve in this church let's go guys it's time to get back let's go let's go What's God called you to do with your business? Did he change his mind from two and a half years ago? Or do you think he still thinks the same thing about your future he thought two and a half years ago? Let me tell you, the only reason he would have changed his mind from two and a half years ago is if you've acted in such fear that he feels like you've held him in contempt. Then God may say, you know what, I wanted that for you, but I can't give it to you because you don't believe me. See, but if you're acting in faith, let me promise you something. He believes the same thing for your business, for your finances, for your family, for your children, for your dreams, for the visions God's given you. He hasn't changed his mind. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to live like we believe that every day. We are faith people. And I just say, if we're going to err, let's err on the side of faith. Because, see, I don't see anything in Scripture that sees God patting people over the head and say, that's good that you were fearful. Anybody know an example of that in all of Scripture? That's not how God operates. God says, I'm God. Believe me. Now, how does that work out in the details of our life? Well, you have to work it out in the details of your life. I'm just encouraging you, the just shall live by faith. Get up tomorrow and believe. Fix your eyes on Jesus. What do you think he's saying in his word to you? What do you think he's promised you? Go after it. Don't let anything stop you from going after the promises that God has given you. Okay, you can play. You ready? <laughs>